Good evening, and welcome to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program, sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church in New York City, a church that is committed to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in an atmosphere of love. Please join us this hour as Pastor Matthew Recker opens the Word of God and then brings others, including you, into the conversation. Tonight, we'll seek to have a dialogue that will glorify God and will show how the Bible is relevant to everyday life. Our desire is to lead people to salvation in Christ and encourage believers in their spiritual growth. Join us and build up your own heritage of faith. Welcome and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program hosted by Pastor Matthew Recker. My name is Micah and I'm the ministry assistant at Heritage Baptist Church and tonight we continue our series on Genesis chapters 1 through 11 called Back to the Beginning. If you would like to join in on the conversation tonight or if you have any questions or need someone to pray with, please give us a call. Our phone number is 929-333-3739. Pastor Matt, as we continue our study of Noah's Ark, I realized this week, as I was thinking about it, that my first memory of Noah's Ark was actually from vacation Bible school when I was young in church. Oh, how ironic. And this week we are having our vacation Bible time at Heritage Baptist Church, right? Yeah, we are, yep. So if anyone is interested and has school-age children, age five, up to going into the sixth grade, we'd love to have them come out. This coming week, Monday through Friday, at 6.30 to PS3, 490 Hudson Street. And if they have any other questions, they can give us a call right now, and we could fill them in and give them the information they need at 929-333-3739. That would be awesome if we had some young people from families of our listening audience to our VBT. Yeah, we have gotten a couple of phone calls from young people who maybe their parents listen or maybe their grandparents listen. So yeah, if that's a possibility, come on out. And if it's not a possibility, please be praying for us that VBT is a success. And I was also thinking, this is part 23, I believe, in our Back to the Beginning series. 23 Uh programs now. And if anyone wants to get a back uh, episode or program, they're Mm -hmm. all on our website at hbcnyc.org. I believe that we've really gotten into the scripture beginning at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, Mm -hmm. and talked about the the evolution, creation, and now we're going into the flood and talk about Noah's Ark. So it's a very important passage, Mm -hmm. foundational passages in the Word of God. So again, if you want to go back and listen to some of our previous programs, definitely go to hbcnyc.org and you'll find those programs there in our radio, uh, Heritage of Faith radio program. Okay, and tonight now we have with us some new guests in our studio, and we're so excited to have with us Ian and Danielle. Now, they're related, but they're not married. They're related, but Danielle is not the daughter of Ian, but they are related, (laughs) so maybe they can tell that relation. And they're both here, though, members of the same family, and they've both immigrated here to the United States. They're both wonderful Uh, in our church, Ian, one of our deacons now for a number of years, Danielle has just more recently arrived. So we welcome you tonight, Ian. Thank you for joining our radio broadcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up coming to the United States. Sure, Pastor. Good evening, everyone who's listening to the radio. And Danielle is uh, my beautiful wife's sister, Debbie. So Debbie and I are married, and Danielle is their youngest sister. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Coming here, I was uh, a consultant in the Philippines, and my company sent me here in the United States so that we can work closely with the client. And during that time, getting a work visa here to come here was not easy. Mm -hmm. I need to prove that my skill is 
unique or it should be greatly needed by our client. Mm. And the person from the Philippines was best suited for a job. So there were there were several colleagues of mine who whose uh, application for visa got rejected. Oh, so yeah. that was yeah. very scary. Oh. <laughs> but with, a, with the Lord's grace, my work visa was approved. Uh, and then coming here was usually not much, that part of my plan. Uh, staying here was that part of my plan. But while here, I worked hard, and, and, and the company where I worked for offered me a job here and also willing to sponsor me a green card. So uh, that helped me a lot. And again, with the Lord's grace, I was able to get my green card here, and, and now I'm a citizen of the United States. Wow, that's awesome. Well, congratulations, Ian, on your hard work. And when you got here, you did not know your wife, right? Yes, that's uh, right. <laughs> okay, and of course, so he met uh, Debbie while he was here, and now he's married and a deacon in our church. And he'll, well, he'll talk more about that as our program unfolds. So, Danielle, tell us a little bit about your coming. It's been a little more recent. Yes, that's right. Hi, good evening, everyone. So um, I came here just a few months ago, just earlier this year, and I came here with a pair of my luggage. And because the COVID restrictions in the Philippines are so strict, uh-huh. they just came down, and it was quite hard to come here because getting travel documents or even just a COVID test that airlines recognize yeah. is hard. Mm. Um and it was also hard because, like, the flights going in and out of the Philippines were also very limited. And um, I was all, I'm was i still a student, and I'm, it's my first time traveling by myself for mm. at least 30 hours. And, wow. Yeah, I, I wasn't... That's intimidating, sh- right? Yeah, it really yeah. was. Yeah. Yep, and so now you're here, and you've applied to go to college, and, yeah. and trusting and praying for your visa situation to work out. And God is going to open the doors for you, Danielle. Yeah. We are trusting the Lord for that. Well, we're just so happy to have you with us, and we're going to dive tonight into the entire chapter of Genesis chapter 7. And this chapter is so amazing because in Genesis 6, God had commissioned Noah to build an ark for the coming flood. And now in chapter 7, Noah and his family enter into the ark after having preached. Micah, how long did did Noah preach? 120 years. And how many people became saved? Just his family. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the earth had become so corrupt, Mm -hmm. Noah didn't have... You just think about this. Not one convert. Not one convert outside his immediate family. Mm. And yet he was a preacher of righteousness. The the, the responsibility of gaining converts was not on Noah. Mm -hmm. It was his responsibility to proclaim the truth. The flood is coming. Get ready. You need to come into the ark. Mm. But now, as chapter 7 is going to end, as we read this chapter, think about this, dear friends. Chapter 7 is going to conclude with, with after 150 days of judgment of of great gyrations of the earth and rain falling, and the, earth, the, the water has been rising on the earth for 150 days. And that's where chapter 7 ends. The entire earth is engulfed with water, and God has destroyed the earth and is now, in a sense, geologically remaking it for Noah and his family and for us when they come out of the ark in chapter 8. So chapter 7, they enter the ark, and chapter 7 ends with water covering the entire globe. So let's read the chapter, and we'll begin right at verse 1, read right on through. Sure, Genesis chapter 7. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female. Of the beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. 
of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of the earth. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according unto all that the Lord God commanded him. And Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. And Noah went in, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, into the ark, because of the waters of the flood, of clean beasts and of beasts that are not clean, and of fowls and of everything that creepeth upon the earth. There went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, the seventeenth day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. In the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. They and every beast after his kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The Lord was the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lifted up above the earth. And the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died and moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beasts, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the bread of life, of all that was in the dry land died, and every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man, and cattle, and the creeping things, and the fowl of the heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. And the wars prevailed upon the earth on hundred and fifty days. And let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for Genesis chapter 7, this glorious, terrifying, miraculous chapter, Lord. We just thank you for the story, and we just pray that you bless our conversation and bless our listeners. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 And so I've entitled this chapter, God Destroys the Earth, because we see that in verse 4, where God says, Every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And also verse 23, every living substance was destroyed. And it says they were destroyed from the earth. So three different times it says that God destroys the mm-hmm. earth. So that's really a great theme for this chapter. So as we, before we really get into the nuts and bolts of the specific verses, let's just take a big picture view of how evolutionary geologists look at the earth. Mm. And really, in doing that, they deny the flood. Evolutionary geologists, of course, assume that the earth is billions of years old. Mm -hmm. That does not agree with the biblical text. So how does our belief 
in a six-day creation, and the flood of Noah helped to answer the question of the earth having the appearance of billions of years in age. Because I think this is a difficult question for many Christians, and Christians are often led to compromise the the Scripture text Mm -hmm. in order to appease so-called science. And we're called non-scientific, right? Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. really, evolutionary geologists assume the earth is billions of years old. But is that a correct assumption? And what is our answer to that? Yeah, well, Pastor, if the scientific standard is uniformitarianism or the belief that geological events occur at the same rate now as they always have, then it makes sense that the Grand Canyon, for instance, was created over millions of years by the Colorado River slowly carving through the canyon's rock layers. Mm -hmm. But you know what? There's proof that natural disasters like a volcano can change the Earth's geology in mere minutes. So. You, me, and Ian were alive in 1980 when Mount St. Helens erupted in Washington State. The disaster was triggered by a 5.1 magnitude earthquake, not even a big earthquake, and the eruption produced layers of rock sediment in just a few hours. Icebergs in the area were trapped in hot avalanche material, and within days, they melted, forming badlands. And the volcano also set off a domino effect of mudslides, which could cut canyons hundreds of feet deep into solid rock. So that's just one volcano. So imagine what major tectonic activity could do to the surface of the earth when triggered by a worldwide flood. Absolutely, absolutely. And Ian, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, growing up, we were being taught in schools about evolution and and mountain formations being uh, built uh, in time and then believing in the 6D creation and the flood gives you a different perspective of it. Growing up, I'm, I'm amazed with seeing those dinosaur skeletons in the museums, even the fossils, but mm-hmm. now when you see them, you, you think about how powerful the Lord God is and being that flood had such big effect in the world that even scientists who, who believe and do not believe in God think that the most possible, possible explanation upon everything is, is the flood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's, and that's, that's how wonderful it is. Yeah. In a landmark book entitled The Genesis Record by Dr. John Whitcomb and Mm -hmm. Dr. Henry Morris, Mm -hmm. this is a quote, uniformitarianism has been assumed and not proved by the scientific world. Mm -hmm. And as you said, uniformitarianism is the view that the Earth's formations, the mountains, the deep canyons, and so forth have formed slowly and uniformly over a long period of time. But this has just been assumed by scientists, not proved. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, catastrophism, in other words, the catastrophe of a worldwide flood, Mm -hmm. has been denied but not refuted. Mm. So they're just using their science and their their gravitas of Mm -hmm. education Mm -hmm. to just deny one thing and assume the other thing. That's one thing. The The other point I would like to make is, I was always a kind of, you know, I'm not a scientist. Mm-hmm. And you just listen to scientists, and they talk about the Earth billions of years old. And so, okay, you know, before I was saved, I just figured, okay, whatever, you yeah. know. Uh-huh. But I had this assumption as well that it takes millions of years to make a fossil because mm-hmm. fossils must be very old. And mm-hmm. so it, it must have taken millions of years to make this fossil. Yeah. But that's not true. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. doesn't take millions of years to make a fossil. Yeah. It actually takes a catastrophe. Mm-hmm. And something has to be quickly buried. Yeah in the rock layer mm-hmm. for for a fossil to be made. Otherwise, if it's not buried in the rock layer, that 
snake or that fish or whatever is going to become food for yeah. something else. It's not going to be a fossil. Yeah. It'll be a meal. Yeah, and you it know? decays pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exa- exactly. And so it's very important for us, dear friends, to realize this, that evolutionary science and uniformitarian geology denies both the creation and the flood. We don't deny either. And a literal six-day creation and a literal worldwide flood does answer the question of the billions of years. Because, mm-hmm. And we talked about this when, when we talked about creation. We don't have to go back over it. But just mm-hmm. to reemphasize that when God made a mountain or when God made a rock, well, how old was it? How old did it look? You know, <laughs> He could have made yeah, it look as old sure. as he wanted mm-hmm. to. You know, yeah. Yeah. And that requires our faith mm-hmm. in these things. Well, let's get into some of these verses, um, uh, Brother Ian. As we come right into verse 1, it's an exciting verse because the Lord speaks to Noah once again. And he commands Noah to enter into the ark. And so from where is God speaking from when he speaks in Genesis chapter 1? And what does it show you, us all what he truly values above anything else? That's a good question, Pastor. This verse is... Uh it's like a kind verse. Um, the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, implying that he was inside the ark. Yeah. It's like when somebody knocks on your door, you said, come in. You don't say, go in, right? Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. also tells That's us good. that God is reassuring Noah that he will be with him during the storm. Amen. And that was very personal. Mm. And then as for Noah, he obeyed all the Lord that has commanded him. At the end of chapter 6 and also in verse 5 on this chapter, Noah did all according to what God commanded him. And he did. And he didn't only obey God, he also, believed, he also believed that God would send the flood after seven days. Mm-hmm. And he believed that God will take care of him and his family, and that will, he will bring him through the storm. Mm-hmm. And that great faith that Noah had to the Lord accounted him for his righteousness. And that, that's not because of his own righteousness, that's because of his righteousness by faith. And that is the most important thing that we need to have right now, which is... Mm-hmm. To be righteous by faith through Jesus Christ. Mm. Amen. Yeah, that's awesome. I love yeah, that. Yeah, that is great. Yeah. That, like, come in. Like, come yeah, to come my in. Home. Yeah, come in. I mean, uh, yeah. So God was inside the ark. That yeah. must have given Noah some comfort. Yeah. Yep. And and I just thought of um, the fact that God was commanding Noah from inside the ark. It also has some interesting parallels to John chapter ten, where Jesus elaborates on the idea of the shepherd, the sheep, and the sheepfold. And it provides that picture of salvation. So, for instance, where Jesus calls himself the good shepherd who knows and cares for his sheep, we know that God was a shepherd to Noah. Mm. He knew Noah. He walked with Noah. He cared for Noah's family. Where Jesus is inside the sheepfold, that place of protection, and the sheep hear his voice, so too is God inside the ark, Noah's place of protection, calling out to him. And we said on uh, last time's program that Jesus calls himself the door to the sheepfold in John chapter 10, verse 9, signifying that he was the only way in. And that is similar to the one door and the one way into the ark, which Noah must enter to be saved. So Noah entering the ark is a really beautiful picture of salvation. Yes, it is, Micah. And I love what God says here to Noah, where he says, For thee have I seen righteous before me. And that is what God values, righteousness, Mm -hmm. because God is holy. And Noah did have a righteousness, as you said, Ian, not through his own works, but by grace. Dear friends, do you have the righteousness that God accepts so he'll say to you, come in 
to my house. That is not a righteousness of your works. It is not a righteousness of religion. It is a, the righteousness that you receive by grace through Jesus Christ. Right? The only righteousness that will get us to heaven, into mm-hmm. heaven is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's really what God values. And when I thought of this, I thought how important salvation is mm-hmm. above everything else mm-hmm. in this life. Mm-hmm. And God wa- is, wants the whole world to come into the ark, but they've rejected him. Yeah. They have become so corrupt. And and then I thought, well, what could we say to our listeners tonight? Maybe someone is not saved, Ian, and something's keeping them back. Different things keep different people back. But what would you say to someone who is not saved to try to encourage them to come to Jesus and enter into the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Some some people grew up in a family with a different belief, like, like me. I was growing up in a in a in a Muslim family, and I think most of people are holding back because they don't want to be outcasted by their family. They don't want to be like put aside by their family because they they change their belief. Mm. And I think that shouldn't be an excuse. Uh, we have to put down that barrier and and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because He's the only way and He's the only way to salvation. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is so true. And mm-hmm. there's there's of course strong Muslim communities right here in our own city that would be outcast, as well as strong Jewish communities. If there was a Jewish person in an Orthodox Jewish home, or, or maybe even a Roman Catholic mm-hmm. uh, in a strong Roman Catholic family, mm-hmm. and if they were to leave the Roman Catholic Church, their family would would put them out. And so, but dear friends, the most important thing is ultimately, are you in God's family? Mm. Believe on Jesus Christ. He loves you. And and Ian, so you had to do that in in your situation and come to Christ in spite of a Muslim culture. Mm -hmm. That's right, Pastor. And you were put out in some ways by your family. Yes, that's correct. That's the the, the, the ultimate price that I have to pay for it. But but that's also the best decision that I have ever made. Mm-hmm. I, w- I wanted to uh, correct. I mean, emphasize it to the listeners. Believing to Christ is 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 not the bad, the worst decision I, I've ever made because our fam- my family, put it put me down in, in some way. But it, it was the best de- decision that I ever made, and mm-hmm. which should be all of you out there who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ should do as well. Amen, mm-hmm. amen. Yeah. And Danielle, how about how about yourself? What would you say? You're a young lady. A lot of young people doing their own thing, going their own way today, but you're following Jesus. What would you say to someone to convince them to be saved? Well, I think one thing uh, that holds people from getting saved is what they think, um, what what they see from so-called Christian circles, um, because they believe, uh, they think of some sort of hypocrisy comes Mm. from them, because they think that because we're Christians, we're also perfect, but... We ha- as Christian, we have to explain to them that we are sinners mm-hmm. and we de- deserve to go to hell. But by God's grace and what Jesus did on the cross for us, we can be saved. And even mm-hmm. though that we may mess up sometimes, yeah, uh, or a lot of times, like it's God's grace covers our sins. Right, and there are none of us perfect. If if some unsaved person wants to find hypocrisy in any of us mm-hmm. or imperfection, they could find it for sure. Yeah. But don't look for imperfection in us. I mean, we I, I believe we're a sincere people, not mm-hmm. a perfect people, but a sincere people. Mm-hmm. But look to Jesus, and there's absolutely no hypocrisy and absolutely no imperfection in mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And I think another uh, thing that holds people back from Jesus is they just don't want to be held accountable to anybody. Mm. So I think that if God and Jesus is considered some sort of authority figure and some sort of judge, which ultimately God is the judge, um, that holds people back. And it's easier to not believe in him than to live a life that is pleasing to him. But I would just say that, you know, since I made the decision to live a life that is pleasing to him, and again, I'm not perfect either, but since I made that decision, my life is just so much more full of joy. And so I just, if anybody's out there listening and they're on the fence and they haven't made that decision, please do make that decision. And in fact, give us a call and talk to one of our prayer counselors at 929-333-3739 tonight. Don't wait another minute. Call tonight. That's right. That is so true, Micah. And so whether it's family tradition or whether it's hypocrisy, and or whether it it could also be friends. I was thinking, you know, it's kind of the, it's different, but somewhat the same, Ian, from what you were saying. But maybe someone, if they came to Jesus Christ, they would lose all their yeah. entire circle of mm-hmm. friends mm-hmm. and community mm-hmm. that they're so comfortable with. And that's not easy to leave behind. But you will gain the best friend. And it may be a difficult decision, as Ian, you said, but it will be the best decision mm-hmm. that you can possibly make. And you will get the best friend that you'll ever have. And you'll also gain new friends when you become a Christian and you go to a Bible-believing church of some kind. You'll meet new Christians and gain friends that will encourage your faith. So don't be afraid. Seek Jesus Christ. We need him. He's the only Savior. He's the only way to the new heaven and the new earth Mm. because there's a new heaven and a new earth coming Mm -hmm. and in a way god is using this flood to bring and the ark god is using this ark to bring noah from one heaven and earth he's Mm -hmm. remaking it and bringing him into a new heaven and Mm -hmm. a new earth Mm -hmm. and there's a new heaven and new earth coming and the only way to get to that new heaven and new earth is through jesus Mm -hmm. the only he is the way Mm -hmm. dear friends the truth and life if we can help you answer questions Maybe you want to come on the air with us and talk to us. We're here. Give us a call right now at 929-333-3739. If you want to talk to one of our call screeners, we have loving, wise counselors that are here at 929-333-3739. If you have any doubts, any questions about your salvation, or you're going through something in your own spiritual life and you just need some some prayer, and someone to help bear your burden, man, we would love to hear from them tonight, right? At 929-333-3739. So that's great. So Micah, in verse Mm 2, God tells Noah to bring of the clean beasts by 7. I thought When I was a kid, I went to see 2 by 2. (laughs) <laughs> with Danny Kay on Broadway, and yeah. they didn't talk about the seven. They, the <laughs> they didn't talk about the seven. So, what's the significance of bringing the sevens of every clean animal onto the ark? Yeah, well, in these first few verses of Genesis chapter seven, God tells Noah that the flood is coming in seven days. He must bring seven pairs of the clean animals and seven pairs of the birds with him into the ark. So, with all these sevens, it almost reminds us of back when we were in Revelation, and we remember that yeah. the number seven. It's the number of God. It signifies completion and perfection. But one other question I had was, how did Noah even know which animals were clean in the first place? And I believe that although the prescription for clean animals doesn't come 
until the law of Moses, God simply told Noah, and that information just isn't recorded in the Bible. You know, I am mm-hmm. completely comfortable with the idea that God told Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Enoch and Noah lots of things that weren't recorded in Scripture, and I'm sure he did. Yeah, and you know that God told him to bring of the sevens means that God has a vision. He is going to bring Noah through mm-hmm. because those sevens will be used for sacrifice. And what, what else was the purpose of those sevens? Yeah, so I, I believe it was for two main reasons. One, these clean animals could be used as a sacrifice, as you said, Pastor, yeah. to the Lord once Noah exits the ark. And that's proven in Genesis 8, verse 20. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the second reason is that after the flood, God allowed man to eat meat from that point moving forward. So Genesis 9, verse 3 says, Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. So by bringing extra of these clean animals that were preferable to eat and to sacrifice, they were not messing up the multiplication. You know, they were still going to be... He's giving them a food source. Giving them a food source. And yet there would be still plenty to Would all those animals, would that... Would that damage the ozone layer? Would that cause uh, climate change and global warming? I don't know. know. (laughs) I don't know about that. Good thing that Noah wasn't woke, you know. He he might have said, no, if we bring all those animals, it's going to destroy the new climate. I mean, craziness going on today. Sorry, I just broke off into that. No, we're going to talk about that next week. Yeah, next week. But you know what it, it shows me as well, though, is how... God is showing by the sevens he's not done, mm-hmm. and his will and his promise to bring the seed of the woman into the earth is not thwarted mm. by man's corruption, mm-hmm. because he's going to take care of man, as you said with the sevens, it's going to be a food source, mm-hmm. and he's still worthy of worship. The sevens were used, those clean animals were used for sacrifice, mm-hmm. and so God's plan and purposes have not been destroyed by Satan. So, Danielle, as we move on in the passage, God tells Noah, seven days and I will cause it to rain upon the earth. So what does that seven days uh, represent, do you think, Danielle? And why does God give Noah a final warning that in seven days he will bring that rain on the earth to destroy all of life? So this would show God's faithfulness and grace. It, mm. This actually reminds me of a verse in um, 2 Peter uh, 3, verse mm-hmm. 9, where the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So it was God's final warning, uh, uh, God's final warning to Noah mm-hmm. and to give him a grace period. Mm. Mm. for the tremendous judgment that's going to yeah. come. Yeah. yeah, seven is that number of perfection and order. Yeah, and just imagine the people in Noah's vicinity who had been watching him over the decades build the ark and prepare to board it. The minute those animals came and Noah started loading them all in, those people watching were given that final warning, a warning that would have spread like wildfire throughout the area. Noah's getting on the boat. Something's coming. And yeah. it was no longer a matter of getting on the ark themselves. It became a matter of just getting right with God. And we can only speculate if any of those people ever did repent. And it does seem that when God said, in seven days, I will cause it to rain. Mm-hmm. Noah didn't wait until the seventh day to get into the ark, right? Mm-hmm. He got right. He was like, I'm going in there right now. <laughs> he got in there right, right away. And I believe there was a grace period, dear friends, as well for the earth to join Noah in the ark. But no one else 
entered the ark mm. with Noah. And this is a grace time for us. This is the, the age of grace, it's often called. This yeah. dispensation mm. of grace to come to Jesus Christ. But he's coming. And when he comes again, dear friend, you have to be ready. You have to be ready for his coming. If you were to die without Jesus Christ, you will die without hope. And your grace period will be over as well. What are you waiting for? Stop your procrastination. If you've not yet come to Jesus, come to him tonight. Mm. Today mm -hmm. is the day of salvation. And you can call us right now, and we'd love to tell you about Jesus and pray with you. A simple prayer where you can turn to Jesus and give your heart and life to him and call upon him and let him save you at 929-333-3739. Or maybe you say, well, I've been saved, but I'm, I've backslidden terribly from the Lord and sin has overcome my life. Come return to him tonight. Return to him, dear friend. Give us a call again at 929-333-3739. God is faithful. So how has he been faithful? Does anybody want to share a quick testimony? How has God been faithful to you? Um, so I can, uh, okay, so, Danielle? So there was a time I was taking care of my grandmother as she was on her deathbed. But mm. at the same time, I was performing for a conference, and I was getting ready for a college exam and a high school exam. And there was wow. just so much going on, and I was I got eventually I got emotionally and physically exhausted, and mm -hmm. I had no idea what God had in store for me. Mm -hmm. But um, God got me through it. It was quite a period of time, and like looking back, that experience brought me closer to Him because it made me mm. realize that I couldn't go through this by myself; that I needed God with me, so that I could get through everything that was going on. Yeah, oh, that's very precious and. You know, what a blessing, too, that you were able to care for your grandmother. And doesn't that kind of give, give you comfort and a sweet memory that you were able to spend that time with your grandmother, even though you had all these other pressures? And at that moment, you might have thought, I can't take care of my grandmother. I have to do the schoolwork and the, everything. But really, as you look back, what's the most important thing, you know, that you were able to bond with your grandmother? Right. Yeah. That's very sweet. How is God faithful? God is faithful to us, right, mm -hmm. over the years and providing for us, leading for us. I'll just give a quick testimony. I remember when we were meeting at, at a school, at mm -hmm. Chelsea School. Yeah. It was a public school, and this was back in, like, 1999 when our church first started. And, and I had actually been on the radio that day. I, I was, it was another radio station, but I, I, I taped a bunch of programs, and I'm driving home, and Debbie calls me on the phone. She says, I have good news, and I have bad news. <laughs> And I said, well, hmm, I, I forget what the good news was. I said, well, tell me what the bad news is first. Yeah. She says, well, the bad news is we don't have a place to meet on Sunday. Mm. The good news is God's going to provide a place. <laughs> <laughs> but I had no, it was Wednesday really? afternoon. And you didn't have a place And we were Sunday. kicked out. Wow. And that next day, God led us to uh, another place. There was a man in the church at that time that God had brought in for such a time as that. Mm. And he led me to to the right place and it was a better place less expensive with air conditioning wow you know so god is and god has taken care of our church like that through the years yeah well he took care of us yesterday uh we did an outreach in not too far from our church yesterday and when we've done that in years past you know we have to go into the buildings and knock on doors of people we know and kind of give out our flyers for vacation bible time that way and yesterday we found out the day before that they were doing this big event 
in that exact neighborhood for the family. So literally God sent the mm. families and all the children in those buildings onto the street for us. Mm. So it yeah. was it was no effort for us at all. We could barely keep up with making sure they all had flyers and they all knew, you know, we we were prepared. We had some snacks, we had props, we had enough people there. And it was just amazing how God did that because we that was never amazing. we never could have gotten that many flyers into people's hands wow. and talked to that many people and seen the kids that we knew from years past. But God right. orchestrated it and He just blessed us. Yeah, that was a sweet day. It was really sweet. And you know, we have not really been able to go into that particular community because of COVID and things. So what a blessing to see some of those young people. Yeah. And how some of those young people have, have grown, grown too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so as Noah enters the ark There's an amazing structural thing going on really here in this passage in that there are two separate reports of Noah entering the ark. One is really from verses 7 down through verse 10, and the other one is verse 13 down through verse 16. So there are two separate reports, and I don't know if I've really focused on that very much. And Mm -hmm. so, dear listener, as you read through this chapter, realize these two distinct reports. One in verse 7, really through verse 10, and the second one, verse 13 through 16. And then in the middle, it talks about the great effect of the flood on the earth. And so we're going to kind of leave verse 11 and 12 for just a moment mm. and look at verse 7 to 9 and then verse 13 through 16. So, Ian, talk to us about these two reports and maybe how they're similar and how they're a little bit different. If you read at both verses, uh Initially, you would think that Noah went into the ark twice, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but actually, both are just similar accounts, and it mm-hmm. refers to the day that God spoke to them in verse one, which is seven days before the flood. Yeah. Verse seven and thirteen tells Noah and his family went into the ark, and both tells us of the group of animals that went in with them: the mm-hmm. queen and the queen beast, the birds, and everything that creeps upon the earth. Mm. Verses nine and fifteen tells us that the animals went into the ark with Noah as if God commanded them. And that was beautiful. Verses 7 to 9 gave like a general description on what or who entered the ark. And yeah. verses 13 to, to 16 gave yeah. us like a more deal description of verses 7 to 9, which is it mentioned who was Noah's sons. There are Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Yeah. Yeah. What are the group of animals that came in? It gave more emphasis on what that they are made after their kind, which is like a key uh, phrase wherein to, to know how mm. feasible it is to put all those animals inside the ark, those thousands of animals inside mm-hmm. the ark. Mm-hmm. And on verse 16, God shuts the door and sealed Noah in, which is also an indicator that God is inside the ark because he shuts him in mm-hmm. inside the ark. Mm-hmm. It's really quite amazing, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, and we actually had a listener named April email us asking about this seven-day delay. And I think it's worth noting that there are two different main understandings of this seven-day time frame, and neither, in my opinion, would create any kind of contradiction. Some commentators I saw said that once God told Noah to enter the ark, the entire process of loading the animals and his family took seven days to complete, and then the floodwaters came on the day that the loading was complete. Other scholars, and I I believe that you and I, Pastor, believe this, um, say that Noah completed the loading of the ark and then spent seven full days inside before the floodwaters came. But either way, I think that these seven days are a picture you know, in my opinion, of the seven-year tribulation. I think it's a unit of seven that comes before this final destruction. Mm. And then after the time of destruction, those that survive repopulate the earth. So in the case of the flood, Noah and his family repopulate the earth. In the case of the tribulation that is to come, 
those who become Christians during that time of Jacob's trouble and survive will repopulate the earth during the millennial kingdom. Wow, a little prophecy going into bringing revelation into Genesis. (laughs) That's wonderful. Great job, Micah, on that. It is so interesting, and I, I really like, you know, Ian, as you brought out as well in verse 14, where we're reminded of creation, where after his kind is repeated four different times of the different animals that are brought onto the ark. And, and also it, it shows as well, after its kind, maybe not every, for example, not every variety of cat was mm-hmm. on the ark, but a yeah, cat, a you know, cat. the kind mm-hmm. of, a, a cat was brought onto the ark. Yeah. So that would limit the number of animals, right, uh-huh. that, that were brought onto the ark, yeah. because some people want to know, could all those animals have fit onto the ark? And, and definitely, we talked a little bit about that last week as well. So... One of the key distinctions of these two uh, reports of Noah entering into the ark is in the, second, um, in the second report where it says Noah went in, and then in verse 16, and they that went in went in male and female of all flesh as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. So the Lord said come into the ark because he was in there, mm-hmm. and then the Lord after he invites them into his ark, shuts the door. Mm-hmm. It's like he seals it, mm-hmm. and that's it. And the key question at that moment for every person alive on the earth was, what side of the door are you on? What side of the door are you on? That would determine their destiny, whether they would live or whether they would die. And as, Micah, you you brought out the verse, of course, where Jesus said, I am the door. Mm. And that is really the ultimate question of life. What side of the door are you on? Are you inside the ark of safety, who is Jesus Christ? Or are you outside the door? Are you outside of Jesus Christ? What side of the door you are on? is the most important question about you. It will determine your destiny. And we talked a little bit already about how you've come here, and uh, Ian and Danielle, how you've come to know the Lord. But I wonder if you could share, Ian, a little bit more about being saved out of Islam and how you came inside the door of Jesus Christ. Sure, Pastor. Um, Growing up, uh, I grew up in a Muslim family, and... As you all know, Muslims are very strict with believing in other religion, and so, and some say that even the the penalty for uh, believing in other god is a death penalty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Sometimes it, it, Muslim families will even hunt down a family member, right? Who come? And I don't, right. not saying your family, but I know some very strict Muslims would do that. Yes, and and then growing up, a Muslim believe in in Jesus Christ, but he's a prophet to them, and then mm-hmm. the the death of Christ in the cross. For them, didn't happen. It's it's like somebody he was switched to another person before mm. before he died. Mm-hmm. And and one of the questions that that's being brought up growing up is why would if Jesus Christ is God, why would he allow, he allow, allow himself to die on the cross? Mm. Yeah. Why would he put somebody else there, or why would he just forgive everyone? Mm. And basically, because he's, he's God, because he can, he can just forgive everyone. But growing up, I didn't know what the gospel means until. My wife introduced it to me what the gospel means, which is died. Jesus Christ died for all our sins, which is, which for me struck me a lot, and and it was like a, 
a beautiful thing that God needs to come here in flesh. It needs to be the perfect sacrifice mm. for all of us just to cleanse us from all our sins. And for me, that's the, that's like the most beautiful thing in the world. And that's, mm. that's what love really is. And that's what wow. prompted me to, to convert. And, and that prompted me to, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, which I think, and even right now, which I think is the most I think it's the best decision that I've ever made. Yes. Amen. That's, that's be- so beautiful, Ian. I think it's so interesting because when I think of the Philippines, I think really a predominantly Roman Catholic culture. That's right. And yet you were raised in a Muslim family. Are there many Muslims in the Philippines? On the southern part of the Philippines are mostly Muslims because we're near Borneo, which is a Muslim country. So most of the hmm. so the Muslim religion actually came from Borneo and then and then it went to the I mean in Mindanao which is the southern part of all the Philippines in the, in in the mainland which is Luzon there are still some Muslim communities there um, but not as prevalent as Catholic I see and you know there are of course a lot of Muslims in in New York City here and maybe we have Muslim friends to want to witness to them and obviously have a, a real difficulty for Muslims in coming to Christ is believing that Jesus is God as well. They believe that Allah is one and that for a man to, to say he is God is almost a blasphemy, right, in, yeah. in Islam. How did you overcome that to believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ? The, the, the gospel actually is the one that, that really struck me a lot. Um, in, growing up, uh, not knowing, I mean, the, the, the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made makes perfect sense on why he did it. And growing up, we didn't know what the real reason is behind it. Mm. And then, and as and as and when I heard that, I I tried to do you know, as for me, I, I tried I I like to read a lot of things, <laughs> so I tried to read and did, like to disprove it. But at the very end, it. It actually did the other way around and make me believe it more <laughs> than believe it, believe against it, which is yeah. which is uh, which I think for for me is uh, it's like uh, the, the 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 Lord the Lord leading me to believe what, what he really is. You were debating one of your coworkers about Christianity versus Islam, right? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that would be Debbie, who became your wife. <laughs> I'm glad she won, brother, but she didn't win. Jesus won. God won, and I'm so glad that he won over your heart through his love, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, so, Danielle, you have quite a different story of how you came into Christ and got on the right side of the door, so to speak. Tell us a little bit about your salvation. So I grew up in a Christian household, so I knew, like, what sin was. I knew that, I knew what a sinner was, but I did not want to admit I was a sinner. I actually thought that salvation was hereditary because my family was all Christian. Mm. And like just like the people who didn't board the ark, I didn't understand that I needed to be saved from something. I saw no need for the ark. I had no need for Jesus. Mm. So I was. You thought you were just born in there already, yes. huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So like, um, I, I, I was only three when it was trying to be explained to me. So I was a very prideful three-year-old, <laughs> and um, I just had they had to explain to me that um, like everyone was a sinner and that no one was. No one was perfect. No one was born a Christian. Yeah. And eventually, I I finally accepted Christ and yeah. uh, understood that I needed to be saved. That even though I hated it as much as I hated it, I I was a sinner as well. Mm. Yes. Well, praise God. And you, so you were just a 
four years old when you came to know the Lord. And to me, that is a beautiful testimony that the Lord saved you so young and so that you could have a fuller life, you know, a more complete life, live, in, live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Praise God. Okay, so let's now go back to verse 10 through 12, or verse, uh, especially verse 11. And I have to say, these are my favorite verses in Genesis chapter 7 about the flood for a number of reasons. One of them is because it was, it's said to be in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month. And then it says, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were open. And this, this speaks of a worldwide catastrophe in such matter-of-fact language mm-hmm. that is literally, epically earth-altering. Mm. But you know what the second day of the 17th month is? It's the day Jesus rose again mm-hmm. as well. So that's, this is really an amazing, mm-hmm. cool verse. Mm. But let's talk about this. And how do these verses, Danielle, how would you summarize these verses to describe where, where did the flood waters come from? Somebody might say, how, does, how could there possibly be enough water you know, to cover the earth? Where did all those flood waters come from? And let's talk also about what some of the geologic results of these activities So the passage mentions of two sources of where the water that covered the earth came from. One of them was a canopy of vapor that above during the time covered Mm -hmm. the whole earth. That canopy opened and a global downpour came upon the earth. And this lasted for 40 days and 49 uh, 49 nights nonstop. Mm. And a second source came from underneath the earth. The dry land cracked open. And this is where like great subterranean water reservoirs burst open. And this triggered the entire flood to come. This also lasted for 40 days as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's exactly right, Danielle. And you said it well there. Uh, Micah, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I just think of, you know, if you held a water balloon above something and then just put a pin in it and it just popped. That's what I imagine. It wasn't some mm-hmm. trickle. It wasn't normal rain. It just popped mm-hmm. from above and then burst from the earth below. And I just think of the effect it would have had on the surface of the earth. The crust would break apart. The individual pieces would crash into each other. There would be earthquakes, volcanoes, the formation of mountains and canyons, and all kinds of sediment shifting and sliding and stacking. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and again, the 40 days and 40 nights of rain, it wasn't a drizzle. No. It was the kind of rain we had last August yeah. when it started raining while we were at our Wednesday prayer meeting. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it like that downpour there was the most intense rain I've ever seen over an extended moment of time and yet it was only a few hours yeah and yet it it did incredible damage Mm -hmm. and we couldn't even get home we were like driving on the lie through literally rivers of water with just what i mean how long did that rain maybe two hours yeah Mm -hmm. can you imagine 40 days of rain (laughs) like that Mm -hmm. and not only just the rain but as you said the subterranean caverns burst open lava water all kinds of whatever water material was inside the earth just burst open and for 40 days there were gyrations of the earth and all other kinds of tsunamis and activity and mountain making mountain making uh things were were happening literally mountains were being formed during mm-hmm. this period of time of the flood so let's kind of explore this just a little further and talk about how some of these changes would have affected the earth of what happened 
for this period of time with the rain coming and the fountains of the great deep broken up what would be some of the uh, what, uh, what are the effects of that and what is the evidence of that even now upon the earth and why don't we start uh, Danielle if you could share with us what do you think that what in other words if there was a worldwide flood how would the earth evidence a worldwide flood so there are some rocks that are scattered around the world, which is sedimentary rocks, which mm -hmm. is a rock layer laid down by water. So these are usually found near sources of water like oceans or coasts or rivers. Yeah. But there are mountain ranges in various parts of the world made of sedimentary rocks. Like you can find these in the Rocky Mountains yeah. up north in America and mm -hmm. also in the Himalayan Mountains. Um, for water to reach and cover these mountains so far apart <laughs> from each other, there would only be a global flood. Yeah. Yeah. It's not uniformitarian activity going on mm -hmm. if the Rocky Mountains are covered with water. Mm -hmm. uh, Brother Ian? There, you also have great canyons throughout the world which contain many fossils. And geologists say that these formations came through floods occurring through uniformitarian process over billions of years. Mm. Take, for example, the Grand Canyon. The common explanation for it is that the Colorado River worked down for millions of years, yeah. but actually others see evidences that it is caused by one cataclysmic event, which is the Great Flood. Yeah. And the worldwide flood would be enough to bring about these canyons to like in a short period of time. Yeah, yeah. Henry Morris, average, he, he, he estimated that his doctorate was in hydrology, or the movement of water. And he said that the average thickness of sedimentary rocks around the world is about one mile thick. And if the average rate of deposition during flood conditions was one inch of sediment every five minutes, mm -hmm. okay, one inch every five minutes to make a mile of sedimentary rock, mm -hmm. it would only take 220 days to form that entire column. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Noah and his family were in the ark for over a year, mm -hmm. about a year and mm -hmm. ten days. Yeah, one major evidence of the worldwide flood is a planet covered in fossils. And I'll just give a quick story. When my grandfather was a little boy, he lived on a farm in western Kansas, and he found multiple shark teeth in a shale deposit near his home. So I looked it up this week on a map, and his town was 800 miles from the Gulf of Mexico, which today is the nearest place where the sharks would be found. <laughs> so yeah. he saved those shark teeth, and after he became a Christian, he used to witness with them. He would carry them around yeah. in his shirt pocket and tell people that he had proof of Noah's flood in his pocket, and then he would pull out the shark teeth and you share the You mean a shark couldn't spit that far? <laughs> 800 miles, I don't think yeah, so. yeah. Isn't that something? Okay, so <clears throat> we read in verses 17 to 24, Danielle, how the earth was completely engulfed in water. So how do these verses, you've got 30 seconds, prove a worldwide flood and not just a local flood? Okay, so some conclude that there are at least 30 specific descriptions of a worldwide flood in Genesis 6-9, to and this passage strongly proves this point. As the water rose sufficiently to bear up the ark covering all the high hills and mountains, the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and the word prevailed is used at least four times. And this word speaks of overwhelming the entire globe. Yeah, overwhelming the entire globe. Every high mountain, dear friend, was covered with water. And the judgment of water unleashed upon the earth will bring about a new heaven and new earth. We're going to talk about this next week. When Noah came out of the ark, he was entering a new heaven and a new earth. And there's a coming judgment of fire. Jesus Christ 
is going to destroy this present system of heaven and earth with a fire. Be sure you're in Jesus. Thank you for tuning in to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program. To find out more about Heritage Baptist Church and our service times and locations, visit our website at hbcnyc.org. We stream multiple services online each week, including 11 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7.15 p.m. Wednesday nights. All are welcome, and you can find links to participate in our services on our website, hbcnyc.org. And join us again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for another Heritage of Faith conversation sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church. Until then, rejoice in the Lord.